I realized that a lot of my relationships have suffered because of this feeling of unwantedness and feeling unloved. Mm. It's very difficult because I try and pinpoint why that is. And I've, I've done a lot of thinking, believe me. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I try and think, you know, this person's showing me love, but why can't I feel loved? Catalina Valentino, welcome back to season four of the Purpose Led Leadership podcast. You were one of the original gangsters or original uh, guests on the show um, about two years ago almost now. Um, I'm delighted to have you back on the show. Um, a lot has changed since then, but for those that don't know you, mm-hmm. give us a, a brief overview now of what you're doing. Okay. Um, I always like to tell the story chronologically. I'm quite process driven in that that regard, but um I guess my journey started when I was 11. I got my first A-star GCSE, which I've only really started talking about. Age 16, I then, you know, the the week that I left school, which I think I already talked about this on your last episode, yeah. but uh, the week that I left school, I went straight into an apprenticeship and started my first degree at the same time. And I loved working, to be honest with you. I went straight into work, no problem. I know that some people find it very hard to transition from education into work, but I, I, I quite, quite enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So started that transition continued throughout um by 19 I was leading a team which was very exciting I kind of got involved a bit with the management team and uh and of course didn't disclose my age to many people because I think that that would have may, made me seen in a different light but actually yes. I got that sort of respect th- with them thinking that I was like mid-20s at the time when actually I was only 19 um mm. then at 19 I also started my master's degree and uh, actually was then made redundant from that role because of the climate and, you know, the the, the landscape at the time with COVID. And um, so I then ended up starting my very first company, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. Started that, went well, transitioned away into tech and sustainability, which is where I am now, CEO of Elixir. And um, well, now I advise a 200 mil Swiss venture capital fund, which is focused on climate tech. And I also am lucky enough to be senator to the World Business Angel Investment Forum. So I'm very thrilled to be in that sort of investment space at the moment. And, um, and of course, made a few personal investments myself. And that's where I am today. So pretty good for a 21-year-old. <laughs> yeah, most people don't realize that. But uh, I put a story up recently with an article that said I was 21. And I had so many messages mm. of people saying, you're 21? You wouldn't know. On the age thing, I mean... Um, on one hand, it's it's phenomenal what you've achieved, but I'm certain you get a lot of um, people judging you or, or trying to pull you down. And you know, how can you possibly know anything about business at your tender age, kind of stuff? And I know yeah. you've gone through that. Can you talk to us a bit more in more detail about that sort of the challenges you've had in that regard in terms of age, ageism, basically? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, I I get it. To some degree, I understand where they're coming from to some degree because, you know, I'm lumped in with the rest of my generation, which, you know, is a generalization. And then as a generalization, we're, we're labeled as like lazy or this or incompetent or in various different terminologies. And so to some extent, I understand where people are coming from when when they see certain elements. You know, I, I post photos on LinkedIn of me within, of course, in professional gear, of course. Yeah. Um, and I get that that kind of gets lumped in with the rest of the crowd. So I get it from that point of view. But actually, I think that experience should also show for something you know if you look Mm. at my experience section on linkedin it's Mm. not um sparse shall we say so 
It is difficult for sure, but there are always challenges that every entrepreneur will face throughout their career and throughout yeah. their entirety. So for me, that's been the age thing as a barrier. Um, sometimes the way that I present myself as well, you know, I, I get taken advantage of sometimes to some degree, um, you know, by men who want meetings with me and I right. think it's business and it isn't. <laughs> or they're trying to sort of come on to you or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a... Because because I saw something on LinkedIn, I, I think almost as a post, and I think you, you you got a lot of flack for it. And I think it I think it, your age kind of like they they almost preyed on your age as well. Do you yeah. want to talk about that? Yeah, for sure. That was probably about a year and a half ago, maybe something around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that particular post where it blew up. You know, it, it just had a lot of engagement. I think it got about four million views in the end. Right. So it was quite a catastrophe in the comments, shall we say. There was a lot mm. of people either defending me, people going against me on the attack, and it was just like a battlefield. What was the context of the post, though? Um, it was more about women and how they get labelled and simply how I just discussed as well with you right. where I've been, you know, I haven't taken advantage of to some degree um, yeah. in, in, in the lightest of terms, shall I say, um, with my time. Yeah, And so I was talking about that situation where women, you know, are labeled either pretty or smart. And I was suggesting why can't women be both? Because I was in a situation where where I found myself and I wrote about that situation. So then, you know, people took that kind of the wrong way. And, you know, the age thing was one thing, but also there was various other reasons why people decided to hate me for that. And yeah, it was a very tough month, truthfully. Mm. But actually, I've been able to learn from that quite a lot. I've been able to turn around my brand you know I've been able to adapt to new skills I've been able to take things a little less personally you know because I still yeah. get quite a lot of hate in fact a couple of weeks ago or a week ago now um I had another post that did mildly um mildly okay and of course there was quite a lot of hate there and I was putting the the, mm. the LinkedIn lunatics and all sorts of things like that but I wow. don't I don't read that anymore I just get sent links and just, just I mean I, I'm I was phenomenally impressed the first time I met you and the first guesting you did here and since since then you've you've gone on leaps and bounds talking about being a senator and advising 200 million pound funds i mean it's phenomenal most people don't achieve that in their lifetime and it it is amazing what you've achieved but it must it must affect you that you know it'll affect anybody at any age but how did it actually affect you did you do i remember it being I think I spoke to you actually, it was, it was a particularly dark moment, but what, what, did it affect your mental health and, and, mm. and well-being? And h- how did you kind of draw strength from it? Yeah, absolutely. It was a very dark time because I'm one, I'm somebody who likes to help other people and always be positive and quite inspiring. And, you know, that's, that's always been my mission when it comes to LinkedIn or when it comes to just general life as well in, in business. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to have all of that um, backlash, I guess, yeah. It was quite upsetting, especially when there were people making personal attacks. It wasn't just on the post and like what I was saying, they yeah. were starting to really get into me as a person. Yeah. Um, so it was probably about a couple of months before I started really recovering from that. And mm. so I had to actually take a full week off with no meetings and anything. Wow. It mm. was really tough, you know, a lot more a lot more tough than I would have imagined, you know, thinking about it now. And, you know, thinking about it from an outsider's perspective, oh, it's just a bit of hate, you can ignore it. But you, the comments start getting to you and you start mm. looking at yourself in a different way and you start thinking, oh, maybe they're right or are they right? Or why do they think of me like that? And what did I do to deserve this? And you start thinking, like, am I cut out for this? Yeah. And so you do go through all those sorts of things in your head. But, um, yeah, yeah, for sure, my mental health was definitely affected 
quite significantly then and it still triggers a little bit when I get negative comments but mm. um actually I think that the way that I drew strength from it was resilience you know I came back from it and a lot stronger and now I'm thicker skinned when when uh things like that happen so yeah and who's who's taught you your resilience is it your parents or I, I mean I guess so yeah um yeah it might have been subconsciously passed down my mum's a very strong woman but I've also been quite resilient throughout my life I mean I guess it's self-taught you know I've had a lot of mm. situations where I've had to be strong or not yeah <laughs> I think that's right I think it resonates with me that the reason why I brought up parents is because I, I learned my resilience from how not to be parented. My, my mum abandoned me when I was two. I've been vocal about that. My dad wasn't around. I was fostered and I was abused, all this kind of stuff. But it kind of gave me my resilience and my drive and my my ambition in a way. And I feel that yeah. um, I don't want to talk disparagingly about any anybody's parents, let alone my own, but um, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But talk talk to us about, about your upbringing because I, f- I feel that there's 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 stuff there that has probably indirectly helped you in a way that probably wasn't pleasant at the time. <laughs> yeah, there's um, there's a lot now. I'm trying to see where to go with this. Whether I, I guess the main part of my childhood where you could say I learnt resilience and strength would have been around the ages of thirteen to fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, hopefully they don't see this, but <laughs> um, yeah, let's just get real. So growing up, my parents got divorced when I was about two mm-hmm. and then my mum met somebody else and um, I was fortunate enough to have a really great father in him. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's kind of all I knew really as a, as a father, which was great. And um, then, you know, growing up, my mum was always quite truthful and honest with me about, you know, who my biological dad was. And, you know, and she even went so far as even telling me where he where he lived, you know, like right. she wasn't really hiding it. But, she, you know, we were very happy with where, where we were. Mm-hmm. Um, so about 13, I kind of started going a little bit, you know, like, I want to see my bio dad. I want to, you know, mm. the, the whole teenage thing as you see in movies quite often and then I started watching like Mamma Mia and all sorts of other films and all of those started clouding my judgment like where's my dad sort of yeah, thing of even though I had a brilliant father that so one day on my way to school I decided not to go to school and um, walked all the way to my biological father's house which was probably about 40 minutes or so maybe something around that time and mm-hmm. you know in my school uniform and all sorts showed up at the doorstep of course I've met them before when I was younger a few times um but but, but very very mm. short instances and um and then they answered the door and um well were very shocked to see me my that's my biological dad and, and stepmom sure and, um, and of course they welcomed me in. We had a little chat. It was a little catch up. First time I'd seen them properly since I was like seven or something mm-hmm. crazy. They always just sent me birthday cards and, um, I just never went back to my mum's for months, I think. And I ended up, my mum called me after a few days, like all about that night, like, where are you? And wow. very crazily upset. Oh gosh, looking back on that, it was yeah absolutely awful to do that to my mum, but you know, we were going through those treacherous teenage years where me and my mum were fighting a lot because we're so mm. similar, mm. um, who I absolutely adore now and respect massively. Um, but 
yeah, so that happened and I kind of ran away to his house and it was fun for the first few months. We, you know, we had lots of fun. We went and did all these crazy, wonderful things. And, um, yeah. and it got to a point where, um, I started kind of acting up a little bit in school. I wouldn't say massively. I wasn't the sort of person who tried to draw attention to myself in, in a sort of negative way and be annoying to teachers. But, you know, sometimes I would forget homework or something. I didn't often do homework at that age. Um, I went from <laughs> goodie two did. <laughs> <laughs> but I went from goody two shoes in primary school to to kind of trying to be a bit different in, in mm -hmm. high school. But um sure. yeah, so I started started doing kind of normal teenage things. I wouldn't say it was anything too crazy. Um and unfortunately my my biological dad decided to move me without telling me to another school. So you know some holidays came around and um, there were a few situations that arose and then he decided to w drive me in the car. I think my mum got in the car as well. And then we went somewhere, which I didn't know at the time. And it was mm. to this new school. Walked in and my mum said, okay, don't panic. Just walk. Your dad's going to tell you what's going on. I was like, okay, it's strange. Yeah. So my mum was trying to console me. Right. And then we walked in and the headmistress gave us a tour. I was like, what is this? And then we went into the hall and I won't forget this moment. Um... <laughs> My my bio dad asked them, so <laughs> they were, the headmistress was saying, this is where they come in to sit down. And then the little boys will sit at the front and he turned to them, boys, because it was an all girls school, right? right? I didn't know this at the time. Boys? He was like, she was like yes, we have uh, boys from the ages of four to six or whatever. And he was like, oh, okay, okay, fine. Right. So the reason for him moving me there was to kind of get me away from the boys. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. And because uh, obviously I was starting to come into my looks a bit as a, as a young female, so I was getting a little bit protective in some mm. situations. So, um, yeah, moved there. And um, then bit by bit, as I began to move there, I mean, he took my phone away at that time. I didn't have any contact with my old friends, so they didn't know where I was. But my sister went to that school as well. So they were all on her for like, where's Kat sort of thing. And it wasn't pleasant for her either. Yeah. And um, then eventually throughout those I mean it was about year nine to eleven so throughout those years I went through a lot um I ended up so living with them for a bit and mm -hmm. then bit by bit a lot of my control was taken off of me sure. and then, like for my own life yeah. And um, I wasn't allowed to see my family as much, my mum and sisters mm. um, as much. And it was kind of restricted into seeing them for like every every weekend or something, for, like on a Sunday, that was it. Then from there, it went to like once a month, which was ridiculous wow. because I mean, they're my family. Why can't I go and see them? But at the <clears> same time, I went years and years with no friends because I then got bullied at this school. Mm -hmm. um, and then... I was kind of locked in a room, I guess, really. <laughs> you know, I was, there's a lot of things, if you want me to get into it, I feel like I've dragged this on, but there's a Not lot of, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of things that were quite controlling in that realm. So obviously I was taken, my phone was taken off me, so I didn't have any contact from the normal world, from wow. anyone over there. Well, that, that um, is, that is real abuse, coercively controlling you and, you know, stifling your, your youth. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. In hindsight, there's an element of, you know, appreciation, but also I think that there could have been other methods to take to get there because there are all sorts of things, you know, taking my phone away. I didn't have it for, until I left high school. Um, yeah. And then, you know, controlling what I did on there. So, you know, he took it away from me, but then when he gave me one back, 
I was only allowed to add the people from this school. So it was like 30 girls that I went to school with. Really? So I had to only only add them. I was only allowed certain apps and certain accounts. I had to make new accounts to only have those people on. Um, Then if I wanted to download an app, I had to go to him because there was a password on it. And um, How did you break free from that then? Because when you're in that situation, I've experienced something similar in a relationship, actually. Really? It was really intense where there was all that control but you can't i think when you're in that situation you kind of almost you don't go along with it it's a bit you might have heard of stockholm syndrome where you kind of just you kind of just go along with it because Mm. it's easier yeah that was that element of it to be honest with you um because at the start i was very resistant to it and then bit by bit i was kind of chipped away at yeah and um and then there were moments you know every few months or something i'd frick it up again and I'd try and do something or I'd try and find a way to contact some of my old friends because I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm all alone you know all I do is go to school eat sleep repeat you know yeah yeah so um yeah it was for sure it was it was difficult because you know just as we were getting to a nice place then I'd try and do something to get that control back I guess um yeah and then I was well punished for that <laughs> so what happened between the ages of 7 13 then did he kind of just leave and then do you mind going into that area as well Seven to 13, you said? Yes. Um, I don't know. We saw, so from when my parents got divorced, then I don't remember seeing them him that much, to be honest with you. Right. It was only maybe around the age of seven I saw him once. We took He took us out yeah. with, with, with my stepmom. And um, then maybe maybe he took us out a handful of times. But other than that, he just sent us birthday cards or his step. So he just kind of brazenly walked out of your life and didn't necessarily yeah i don't think he really wanted to be in my life to begin with to be honest with you i think he was he's very much a man who likes his solitude so, so having kids around him probably wasn't his dream <laughs> so so i mean this feeling of well not feeling this actual neglect this abandonment um this lack of worthiness he probably made you feel uh, how how has that played out I think that in a, in a in a paradoxical way, it's almost given you your sense of fuck this. I'm, I'm going to stand on my own two feet. Yeah, you say? that's exactly what happened. I mean, it went from me having absolutely no control over my life or anything to me then seizing that immediately. Mm. So the the day that I left school, and I finished school for the last very last time. Um, I was dropped back to my mum's, where I then went to live again. And um, on that very day. I then ended up applying for a job and went for an interview the following week and got that job and then started work immediately. So immediately I was trying to take control of something, you know, I wanted to, yeah, you know, stay out of education and enjoyed the way that I went through school. Of course, there was a lot of, a lot of yeah. trauma around that. Of course, um, of so I kind of stood away from that in the, in the most sort of typical way, but I did do the open university degree then as well. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what happened. But. So have you talked about this with apart from on a pop podcast like this? Of course, <laughs> have you talked? Have you had counselling or therapy? Along the way, I've had bits and bobs when I think it gets sort of bad. I wouldn't say day to day at the moment. I've been for the last year or so. I've been yeah. pretty good. Um, yeah. I say year, maybe it's been a bit less than that. But I remember December of last year was pretty difficult for me, and I don't mm. think it was directly because of stuff like this. You know, I've kind yeah. of, for the most part, got over it. But actually, I do have moments where I break down yeah. about it. You know, actually, I did have a time. I was in Dubai recently. I think it was about May, something like that. And I started thinking about it again and, you know, mm. did get me down, to be honest with you. Mm. And um, for me, it, it affected, what happened to me affected my 
relationships. I'm mm. kind of I'm 46 now. I'm through it now. Mm. Um, but how has it affected your business or your personal life? It's affected my business in a positive way because it, you know, do it for the fuck years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't normally swear, but yeah. there you go. <laughs> um, personally, we all have challenges. So this is my challenge, I guess. Mm. Um, and it's something that I've got to live with you know, and try and overcome. It's not, Yeah. you know, there were, I haven't really talked about this either, but, you know, when I was, I had to give him my phone and every night um, and he'd go through it and check that I haven't messaged anybody that I wasn't supposed to and all sorts. But also yeah. I went to download an app and I, <laughs> I won't forget this. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but um, there's an app called Flow, which is about your female cycle and you can just track when your period is. And then it's, it's really good for like giving predictions. So you know when you're going to come on and all sorts right. of things like that. And it's just all about feminine health in general. Mm -hmm. um, and I used to use that before my phone got taken away from me. And so I went in to ask him for um, this app to be downloaded and he shook his head. I was like, why do you want this? Are you planning on on, on trying to get pregnant? And then like really like right. was was very taken aback by this. I said, no, it's just a track. No, you know, my cycle is like, why do you need to track your cycle? You know when your cycle is. I was like, okay. So he was very scared that I was trying to get pregnant at the age yeah. of 13 or 14. Wow. And gosh, it was just ridiculous for some of the things like that. It was, mm. and then there was another thing. I think he put some sort of tracking stuff on my, on my phone and he didn't trust me to go for a run because I could meet someone halfway. Mm. But then eventually he loosened up a bit. And, um, you know, if I didn't come back within 20 minutes or so, he'd start worrying because, you know, was I meeting somebody, you know, sort of thing. But do you still speak to him now? No, um, I, Stopped speaking to him after I left school immediately. We had a bit of a fight, I think, and we just kind of, he's very stubborn. So, yeah. um, and of course there are a handful of qualities as well that come, you know, he's very intelligent and very funny and but in, in his good moods. But of course mm. I ex I'm talking about my experiences from my point of view as well. I'm yes. sure he tried to do his best, but yes. um, yeah, he... We lost contact. Then on my 18th birthday, I was waiting for some sort of a text to say like, you know, happy birthday, you know, it's a big birthday, yeah. but nothing came through. So I ended up texting him and I said, hey, it's my 18th birthday today and um, hope you're well sort of thing. And I think he ignored that. Yeah, he definitely ignored that. So what words would you use to describe how all that's made you feel? Honestly, when I think about it now from like this sort of outside perspective without deep digging deep, I kind of get half over it, but then yeah. in my moments of weakness, and I realize that a lot of my relationships have suffered because of this feeling of unwantedness and feeling unloved. Mm. And so, you know, I kind of eventually, as you get into the relationship of years and years, then you kind of want that a bit more. You feel like you kind of lose that passion that you instantly have. And because of that lost passion, like my immediate response is to say like do you not love me yes and so i think that that's yes. hindered some relationships and yes. and it's very difficult to to you know and even even with my mum and everyone you know i feel the same way i feel very unwanted and unloved on a sort of deep subconscious level i've come to realize so really so you you actually feel unloved yeah it's very difficult because i try and pinpoint why that is and i've i've done a lot of thinking believe me yeah i'm sure yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and i try and think you know this person is showing me love but why can't i feel loved you know and so it's it's going to take a little bit more time to discover have you ever been why. in love yeah i would say so that my last relationship was more of a puppy love i would say 
But um, what's a puppy love? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, they say you have three loves, right? right your puppy okay. love, your okay. passionate love, and then your true love. Right. And so that puppy love is more of a, a sort of young love that it's, it's okay. not as deep as the ones you'll experience later. But um, but mm. then I did have a more passionate one afterwards. So okay. Well, I think I think um, what we do and what we experience outside of work really does affect us inside of work. And I th- mm. I think that um, I take my hat off to you for your resilience and your focus as a business woman business person um do you think do you feel that all that's kind of made you a little bit more kind of ruthless or or, or when you say it's helped in a positive way can you mm. put a bit more context into yeah. that it's helped in two ways one to be more empathetic and understanding to other people around me because right. you know i bottle that up quite quite well but nobody would ever know i've been through stuff like that especially when you look at where i am now everybody seems to think it's an easy path yeah um and so there's that element. And then there's the other element of just this absolute undying flame inside me that just wants to prove something to him, you know, mm, and it's, right. it's not, that's not the only reason I'm passionate about what I do, but I realized recently that that is a big part of what made me who I am. It's almost, you know, I, he wanted me to go down this route and this very, very one track minded route. And I went the other route and proved that I could do it better. So. You see, this is really interesting. Cause I was, I was in that, that realm of, I have to prove to my dad or my parents. And yeah. I think that was why it helped me drive my multi-million pound business that I, and I've done other things. And subsequently I realized that I'm not saying yours is wrong or, or mine's wrong or right, but I, I felt that was an incoherent, incorrect purpose. I'm only yeah. doing this to prove my parents wrong. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of came out of that now thinking actually it's, it, there's a, there's a, there's a higher calling. Yeah. So I think deep down, Yes, there's an element of that, but I, I think you, I think there's more to it. What, what is your purpose? What's your why? Why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. And I had that realization a few years ago as well, where I was like, why am I so, you know, enthusiastic in, in comparison to other people about what I do? Yeah. And I realized that that was a big reason why. But I'd say that's not my purpose. It's it was a reason for me to be so determined. Yeah. But it wasn't my purpose. You know, my purpose isn't just to say screw you to somebody. That's not the reason I work. Uh, no. 16 hours a day. Mm. Um, uh, my purpose is more to improve the world. Mm. You know, a lot of people say change the world and it sounds cheesy because you can't really, you know, change everything. But if I as one person and, and the team I have behind me can improve the world whilst being on it, that's that. That's my job done. You know, we come onto this planet, I think it can almost be a little bit selfish in, in, in my point of view of saying, mm. you know, I'm going to come on here. I'm just going to live my life and then I'm going to die eventually. So what impact have you had positively on the planet if you're just going to come here and just live for yourself? You know, mm. I think that, you know, if we can contribute something even small, you know, love, you know, loving yeah. somebody else, that that's yes. something small. So for me, it's improving the world. Um, and because I'm doing what I'm doing with regards to business, with tech and sustainability, that's obviously going to be a climate positive impact. And of course, socially as well, which is very important to me, which is why I do keep on top of social media, because yeah. I realize that that's going to be a big, essential key to the future. What, what do you think is important in a leader? What traits? Because you meant, you've mentioned, when I asked you earlier a question, you said, uh, the good things about what's happened you went empathetic and understanding and i mm. think it's a brilliant they're, they're two brilliant answers because ordinarily the archetypal leader thinks they need to be stoic mm. inspirational and powerful and motivation i think yes but i think those are those other traits are really important that like you've mentioned i completely agree the thing is is that i couldn't just label it down to one 
trait because I've over time I've realized that being empathetic is great but then if you're just empathetic you're just going to be walked all over by your team absolutely and then if you're too stoic and out of reach then people are probably going to leave because they don't feel included with that culture yeah so I think that honestly balance is probably the key word when it comes to a good leader but it's not what most people describe as balance you know, balance all the time is all yeah. we hear now but it's yeah it's trying to be as much of who you are plus traits that then you've adopted to be able to yeah. to give to your team and i think that a lot of it goes with empathy a lot of it goes with being that leader being inspirational yes. but then also you know bringing them all together and saying you know actually i think one really important thing before i get off this topic is um targets as well people have to have a direction mm, so absolutely mm. everybody even the, the ceo down to not down but i think all parts of the organization need a need a motive and they can say down yeah, down. everybody's so snowflake, you know. <laughs> Go on. It is down. Yeah. CEOs at the top. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's on that point. I want to talk to you about that. About kind of like, what is the world coming to where we can't? Yeah. I, I, I did a LinkedIn live yesterday, and I, okay. I, 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 I misgendered somebody. I, I called them by their wrong oh, pronouns, gosh. and it all kicked off. And it got really kind of. It was a genuine mistake, and I, and I, I came out of it thinking, oh my god, if I, I was almost like forced to apologize, and I yeah. kind of did, and then I thought, well. It was a human error. Yes. Talk about talk about that kind of because there's different schools of thought with this, isn't there? Yes. What's there's so many different schools of thought, and I think that the one the one popular opinion that people are scared to say is that at the end of the day, you are what you are, but because of the way society's been formed in the past and previously, we assume things, and that's not mm. it's not a bad thing. We're trying to get better as humans, but you know, the first thing on somebody's mind, you never know what's going through their day anyways you know so they yeah. could have just had the worst day ever and then they're not thinking straight and then they've abs ab you know yeah. accidentally mislabeled you and i totally get mm. that you can feel offended by that but actually i feel like whilst we transition into this new culture of, of new pronouns we have yeah. to be more understanding on this side you know if you've got new pronouns that aren't obvious i think that you do have to be more understanding to people like this because yeah. people don't know that you know this because it's your entire world but in other people's worlds it's it's very different yeah. so i think there needs to be a level of understanding from here level of understanding from here you know you clearly didn't do that with a wrong intention no. so of course apologizing to say like you know i didn't mean to do that absolutely um, yeah but i think that it's a very touchy subject it is very difficult because i 100 I, I mean i do a lot of work with that community and mm. uh but i think sometimes it can be almost due to what's happened there's a lot of atrocities a lot of injustices and i, and I get that but mm. you can't if you start to force things on people and say you have to understand you have to be educated otherwise yeah i think that big and that becomes a bit a bit challenging actually it's almost a bit Absolutely. a bit of a hypocritical thing thing to say i'm yeah. going to judge you because you you haven't educated you haven't learned about my pronouns mm. well sorry do i have to do that for you, for you to actually respect me and yes. it's, it's a it's a difficult yeah. subject it's a touchy subject isn't it it is it's a bit of an uphill battle i like to describe it as you know yeah. it's a bit like you know you think you're trying to do all the best things and then you just get slapped by things to knock you back down that hill what's, what's what's your kind of um how do you view the state of the world? Where are we going? Because you talk about snowflakes and... Yeah, we're too far past that line now. You know, we used yeah. to be over this and then, you know, this is a nice middle point, but we're over here now. You know, we need to scale it back a little bit, I think. I mean? think it's very difficult to describe without using certain examples and I don't want to get onto the yeah. whole politics side of things. But um, I think, you know, whereas here we were underappreciating people and, and segregation and all yeah, sorts of different exclusions. Of now inclusion isn't necessarily inclusion where it should be in the middle. We're over here in terms of trying to like 
rebalance those scales like what i talked about with women and men before whereas equity equality whatever you want to call it is kind of you know in certain fields it is on that sort of equal Mm. playing field depending on various things it's equity not equality right women are now trying to take the top spot over men yes and i think that that's wrong you know women shouldn't be slating men because they're men equally because mm. otherwise they are just being entirely hypocritical. Of course. And so I think that's the same thing with what's going on nowadays with segregation and division of, of different groups and, mm. and backgrounds. And I think that we're going too far. We're just on that verge of going too far the wrong way. We're shouting about yeah. it in the wrong ways. You know, we're yeah. rather than trying to be a group of understanding people in this world, we're actually shouting about it and making other people feel bad about it's it. It's almost like we want equality, but the more we push it, we're actually creating more divide. Absolutely. And that's another thing, actually, as well, which is really important. The more you talk about, you know, inclusivity, inclusivity, I think that there's, of course, that's great on on the one side. Yeah. But then on the other hand, are you just creating more divide by talking about it as much? Mm. You know, so is this is a challenging subject and there's no real, you know, how to's on this. And I'll be I think a lot of people would be probably shoot one or both of us down for saying that kind of thing. But we're not we're not saying it in any way other than actually take a step back and actually what's your motive what's your intention Mm. here and i think we all want equity and equality to happen yesterday but the reality is that's not i think sometimes that needs to be a a bit of patience a bit of process i think so i think that we now because of social media we're ranting and raving about everything and complaining and victimizing ourselves for things and me myself coming from latina background as well as british i can see both sides you know whilst (laughs) <laughs> there's so many times that I've walked in somewhere and all the cleaners are like Mexican or something like that. Right. right. And so there's stereotypes and things and all sorts of other things and, and hindrances and people getting my name incorrectly. And there's a lot of different things uh, that people even like ask me, you know, ridiculous questions. I can't remember somebody asked me something recently. and I just thought, wow. Um, They said like, how is your accent so good? And they said something else. And they were like trying to speak to me in like this weird way as if I didn't know English. And so there's one side where I'm like, I've experienced what it's like to be a Latin American woman. And I get where people are coming from. And my family are in a really tough economic situation, you know, in Colombia. And, um, and there's, there's all sorts on that side, but actually when I see then on the flip side, what it's also like to be a British woman as well, it's like, you know, I don't think there's always that intention there that people seem to have it like people think that people have it out for certain groups you know for sure there's of course there's there's a lot of miscommunication yes. but I think that experiencing it from both sides I'm I'm happy to say that you know from that point of view it's we need to be more understanding so at a very high level because there's there's so much complexity to this but let's just stick with one area mm. what do you think men can do more of to help women and on the flip side what do you think women could do more of to help men you know i think the barbie film did a really good job of this making people aware and there's a lot of moments in that film where there's there's a scene where i think her name's america does like talks 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 about being a woman you can't be too this you also can't be too that at the same time and how difficult that is yeah yeah and so i think what men can do is be more aware, you know, in meetings, for example, there was a, there was an instance where, um, I remember some, there was a woman speaking about it where she said, you know, I made my male boss aware of the fact that another male keeps talking over me. And, um, and, and then, you know, he obviously wasn't aware of this before. So then going forward, he'd then, the boss would then step in and say, actually, so-and-so was about to say something. Can you let her talk please? And so without that awareness, there's no action. Absolutely. And I think that that's, 
the main important thing that men can do. Mm. But also women need to be more um, proactive as well because we've been taught to fight for that one spot at the table. So we're all against each other. You know, yeah. we're against each other from the very start. Right. So I think that women also need to be more caring towards each other. I agree. I agree. So age 11, A-star GCSE, um, got your master's degree. You speak about 17 languages now, can't you? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> How many languages three. can you speak? Three. Only three. Um, EQ over IQ. What's what's the most important thing? It depends on what you want it for. You know, it's a very broad question. Depends on if you want to go and invent something. Of course, IQ is over EQ for sure. If you're going to be a leader or, or some sort of manager, then EQ is very important. Mm. Um, I typically would say EQ, mm. but then it just there's a lot of different variables because yeah. are you do have EQ and are you stupid like? what's mm. the context <laughs> well a, I guess it's uh, objective in that regard yeah yeah because I mean you're you're um you're you're well spoken you're well educated moving on to sort of like the social media thing I know you've got you you've had your own marketing and brand you've still got your own marketing branding agency how did you kind of fall into that and what's your perception of how that LinkedIn social media landscape has changed over the last couple of years? Mm. So, I mean, I came into it right from school where I started a marketing apprenticeship. Then I did a degree in it, did my master's degree, did my BA in um, business management. Right. And, um, you know, I've, I've been doing it for quite some time. And then I started the agency, started it as a general marketing agency, you know, the whole low barriers to entry. And there's a mm -hmm. lot of people doing marketing. And I found, you know, I... I don't want to be just another marketing agency and you know? I've got to figure out what I'm doing first before I go on to then try and help people in this because I don't want yeah. to be one of those agencies that over promises and under delivers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, continued as about 12 months before I really signed any clients. Um, yeah. And then at that time, personal branding on LinkedIn was starting to take off and I kind of, I didn't even, I didn't even instinctively kind of go into that space like saying like oh you know this is going to take off sort of thing it was more of a case of I started getting good at it and yeah. realizing that that was a really good niche for me and then I changed the whole business model I pivoted and right. I um instead of offering all marketing solutions I just focused on one and I think that's one thing that founders need to do more of you know there's a lot yes. of marketing agencies out there that yeah. claim to do all of these different things but how well can you do it and how focused are you going to be on delivering that and so I think True. that that's one thing that I found that actually helped us a lot because when I was going saying oh you know I have a marketing agency people are like, oh, okay it's just another marketing agency but if you yeah. specialize in one thing I agree then you can get really good case studies but you've kind of you kind of like or you have you've moved away from just doing that yourself though because you're doing what, what was the catalyst for kind of not just being miss personal brand if you like <laughs> <laughs> yeah um there are def very different factors there's various ones of them but uh the main thing for me is that I always wanted to be out of that space. I never really wanted to be in it when I first got into it. I enjoyed doing it because I was good at it. Um, it was quite an easy transition being in marketing already. Yeah. But there were two things. There was the first thing is that that space got very saturated and a lot of stereotypes around mm, that. I agree. And so I didn't want to be seen as one of those people. So I was very careful with, with the way I approached that. And I always wanted to be known for business in the first place. I didn't want to be known for marketing. I have a marketing agency. It doesn't mean I'm a marketeer. 
It means yeah. I am the person who is in charge of developing that company. Yeah. And so people were starting to see me as more of a personal branding person. And I kind of went with it for a bit, but I kind of decided, no, this is not what I want to be doing. So I transitioned away from that into more the tech side of things. My, my view of LinkedIn is that I'm not going to knock it because it's a brilliant platform. It's, it's, yeah. it's enabled me to build several businesses and help other people scale their businesses as well, because it's what I do. I've made mm. so many friends, including you, and it's been, it's been brilliant. <laughs> but I think the last recent period i think it has changed i think mm. there's the, the the there's a lot more selfies which, which is great but mm. I, I when you say uh, saturated with stereotypes i think i don't want to judge anyone or anything but i fell into the trap of being quite thirsty for the likes and the engagement all that yeah. kind of stuff and i've taken some time out and i've really evaluated why i'm on there and i lost sight of it now i'm on there i think is this post going to add value Whereas yes. I think before some of them did, and some of them was just like, "Is a selfie and is a story about me or whatever." And it's like, is that really adding value, or is that just validating stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And I went into the same traps as well. And occasionally, you know, we do also thing like, oh, "I really wanted this post to do well, and it didn't do as well as yeah. I wanted to in terms of vanity metrics." But yeah. yeah, for sure, I think that that was one of the things I stepped away from in particular as well. You know, and I, I've been posting very different things now i turned mm. in my entire profile around um, and now the way that i measure success is more on the dms that i get so now i get outreach to for like speaking engagements or yeah. um, partnerships or people want to invest so those types of um yeah uh, messages are more valuable to me now so talk you so it's like you're doing tech startups you're doing sustainability stuff you're doing just give us a bit more context as to what you're doing why you're doing it and where you want to go with elixir and all the other stuff you're doing yeah, absolutely. So Elixir's got three different arms. We've got Elixir, the parent co. We've then got Elixir Labs, which focuses on developing and helping to startups to to be brought to market. So we have like a it's like an incubator style is what right. Elixir Labs is, and we can you know incub and resource these companies after they get funding. So that's what Elixir Labs does. Mm -hmm. Elixir Foundation. It's a foundation which films. Um, documentaries around social and climate issues to raise awareness and money for them okay and then elixir in general the the main elixir baby we invest into companies into tech companies specifically and we grow them so what we've done with our current portfolio of eight tech companies is to kind of co-develop them All at this right. stage mm. so um we have the resource from elixir labs which we use in elixir as well and what we do is we've we've effectively preceded and seeded these companies with our resource and um, and our partnerships. So we've got eight companies from like planning tech, lidar tech, uh, social decarbonisation. We've got sustainable finance, digital voting, various different uh, innovative technologies. And what we've done with those is we co-developed them, and they are in their own right very innovative and forward-thinking because it's never been yeah. done before. But actually, they're also going to be unified at some point to uh, an industry 4.0, which is something where you know technologies communicate to one another, um, similar to what uh, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp have, yeah. where they they're actually linked via the UNS, which is something right. that they're all kind of like communicating with one another. But obviously, for their the, the purpose they have for their linking theirs is more for the data side of things and trying to market yeah. but obviously our way will actually be for the ease of the consumer you know? so ultimately if you to wrap up the ultimate objective for that is to do what to create sustainable and smarter cities to create a brighter new future wow i mean i sense you get a lot of fulfillment out of what you're doing Yes, I stumbled upon what sustainability really is last year. 
And so before I would always think, oh, sustainability is all these tree hugging people and they're all, you know, it's just about turning lights off and recycling. Like, is that really going to make a big impact? Yeah. You know, it's a very much a, um, a, a, a very misunderstood market and sustainability really covers, um, well, environmental, social, yeah. um, economic uh, side of side of things. So okay. not only is there the environmental side with, of course, recycling, turning lights off, circular economies, all of these things do build up, which I've now understood. But actually, there's the social side of things as well. So are there social injustices? You know, it, how's mm. our economic landscape, and how is that affecting our social landscape, and how does that maybe then impact the environment? They all kind of come closely together. And so after I did some research into what the Sustainable Development Goals are, which are commonly known as SDGs. I realized that actually my whole life I've been wanting to do something like this. The social side mixed with the environmental side, all of those things is actually what I've been kind of looking forward to and, and trying yeah. to get to without realizing. So mm. as soon as I came across it, I thought this is exactly what I want to do. And that's what I did. Did a Cambridge course in it, now joined the VC. Um, and of course, Elixir is really focused on the sustainable principles and outcomes. You must be proud of yourself. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I think a lot of these things come quite naturally. And so I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for my pop, you know, something that I know is the thing I'm going to work on. And Elixir is that, but there's something else and I can feel it. I can mm. feel there's something else that's supposed to come out and eventually it will. And so I, you know, last week I was actually thinking this quite funnily enough. I was sat there thinking like, what you know where yeah. am i going with this you know it looks yeah. great what i'm doing is great with all the advisory roles but actually like aside from this mission i feel like there's something more i'm supposed to do over here so do you, do you ever um take time out I mean, what do you, i mean <laughs> what i mean by that is that you, you know you're, you're laser focused on all your businesses all your education and your development and you know you were very suppressed and controlled by your dad and all, all these things. It feels like you haven't followed the archetypal kind of route for, of a young woman. You know, do you not like miss partying and drinking and that kind of stuff? Do you, you know, are you not worried about burnout? I am worried about burnout to some degree, but the very big difference between what I do and what the typical person does is their work takes away their energy. Mine gives me energy. Mm. And I think that that's one thing that people forget you know and that's not the case for all entrepreneurs you know a lot of people start to think they're entrepreneurs now um yeah but certainly for me and for, and for i'd imagine people like elon musk as well and all those sorts of people who just work all the time that's what it is it's th their work gives them energy that's a good point you made when you say a lot of people think they're entrepreneurs what do you mean by that <laughs> <laughs> i mean i watch a lot of shows where they're, they're labeled as entrepreneurs and i think you haven't, you're not an entrepreneur right now. You've come in with an idea that is quite, quite blatantly shit. Yeah. And you think that you're an entrepreneur because you've started a business. Anybody can go yeah. onto a company's house yeah. and register a company. That does a not person, make them an entrepreneur. A one person band. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a solopreneur if, if you're talking about a one person yeah. band, that's great. And I think that yeah. there's still that spark, but it is all about characteristics. You know, somebody starting a business can be more process driven, less creative. And that's, I wouldn't say that they're entrepreneurs. I would say that they are business people. Um, and potentially more in the sort of COO kind of role rather than that founder role. Yeah. But they seem to try and get it in their head that they're this this entrepreneur when really they're not. 
And I think that there's a big trend to be an entrepreneur right now. An entrepreneur, I think, is someone also who takes a little bit of risk, mm. um, who yeah. is willing to put themselves out there and invest in themselves and other people and um, develop a product. But also, I think you, you have to be good with people. Yeah, well. absolutely. And there's also this book, and it's, it's based on uh, like a color theory um, it's by Thomas Erickson okay. and uh, he's, he's brilliant as well. I actually spoken to him quite recently. It's called Surrounded by Idiots. Right, I've talked, heard of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. He talks about the fact that people um, can be evaluated on who they are and what sorts of reactions they might have based on colors. So it's based on the disc profiling method. Okay. And so there's reds who are sort of the more stubborn, arrogant kinds of types on the bad side of things, but they're more, they're the leadership. They're the people who are going to get things in order. Mm. Then there's the yellows who are very creative, very, you know, they inspire people. They bring the room alive. There's greens who can typically be seen as more lazy. They're more the sort of worker ants, but actually they're kind of really... Um, really good and empathetic and really good at listening to people and understanding people. Then there's blues who are more process-driven um, yes. sorts of people. And so there's this color categorization of people. And I think the entrepreneurs, the good entrepreneurs, actual entrepreneurs are a mixture of everything. Got you. And it's so there are people who start businesses who are potentially more the green blue side of things. And they're just going to be a small business at the end of the day. Mm. Then there's people who've got a bit more yellow in them, more creativity. They're probably going to be a little bit more successful yeah um and and you know the ones who are the most successful you know the elon musk of the world and, and, and all people like that they have a mixture of all of those things they might yeah. not show all of those things at all times but it's they true. have that embedded and i like to call them divergence right but also they're aware that they are um they can't be all things to all people and they've probably got deficiencies in some of those areas and they and they they're aware of that and they and they plug those gaps exactly but the awareness comes from being a bit of a green in that respect and taking that accountability yes and that's yes. one thing that a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with having that green area because green yeah. is kind of the opposite of red. You know, people are driven over here and these these guys are a little bit more slow thinking. So yeah. having that extra element, I think. That Where do you think you can develop your colours and which colours? I think sometimes in some situations, the red side of me, um, I've been recently developing that in terms of leadership because mm. whereas I was more of an empathetic leader, that's not what a team needs. They need a drive, they need yeah. a, an end goal, they need KPIs, they need all sorts of things like that in a direction. Mm. So that's one thing that I'm working on with my leadership side of things. Yeah, that's probably what I'd say. And what about what um, you say that your work is your nectar and your fuel? What, what keeps you up all night? What, what, what worries you? What are you fearful of? And what also what pisses you off about life? <laughs> <laughs> my worries, um, sometimes I think that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with this. It's imposter syndrome. And you can look up at all these greatest people ever, but most mm. of the times those people have also said that they have and struggle with the same thing. Yeah. Because there are three things, and I can't remember them all at the top of my head because there was this great video that explained it really well. But there was one thing where, you know, people who are great know they're great. They have something inside them that is telling them that they know they're supposed to do something big and great. Yeah. And that's what I've always had embedded inside of me. I know there's something that I'm supposed to do. That's one right. thing. But those people also have great imposter syndrome and also the whilst they believe in themselves so much they also have yeah. times where they just mm. don't believe in themselves mm. at all so sometimes you know what we were talking about earlier with the linkedin comments and stuff like that that can feed into that it's very mm. difficult um but yeah I, i'm the same that i i've i've i 
believe 100 in in a higher power I'm not particularly religious but i'm quite, i'm spiritual and i mm. I, I think i've got gifts i know i've got gifts that i yeah. want to impart on the world and i think mm. you're the same mm. but it's a bit like the devil and the angel that's the angel and then the devil is saying no you're not good enough this yeah. so how, how do you personally um deal with those two um paradoxes you have to be absolutely wildly crazily convinced that you are the absolute shit <laughs> like honestly yeah, yeah. you really have to convince yourself that you are the most important person in the world otherwise you're never going to do it and so mm. it can be this kind of crazy thinking and you know it's not from a, an arrogance point of view you totally don't go around right. going like i am amazing but no. you do have to look at yourself sometimes and go I am the thing, the next thing that is, is yeah. you know, and, and you have to have this incredible self-belief that just overpowers those thoughts. Totally. So otherwise you're just, you can't listen to both. You have to listen to one thing. Yes. And so that's what really helps me. Um, and then also sometimes social media, you know, I'm very careful with what I look at and I only follow certain people. Mm -hmm. so there are some people who are quite motivational and they're more, more in the entrepreneurial space yeah and what i do is i listen to what they're doing and sometimes you know they go through the same struggles and so just listening that to people who i think are great saying that they sometimes don't think they're great really totally, helps totally because you can get a lot of toxic positivity as well and yeah. i think that vulnerability piece is really important but also if, I, if i'm going to think thoughts or absorb things i, I, I do want it to be positive i yeah. want it to be inspirational motivational but in terms of vulnerability, you, you talked about, I think you're right, you can have too much of a good thing, you can be too empathetic and too kind mm. of vulnerable. But how important is vulnerability to you and what is what is vulnerability to you? In terms of like the workplace or in terms of my day-to-day -day entrepreneurialism? Every, how would you define it? How would you, yeah. Yeah, I think vulnerability is great to some extent. You know, I think that people are being overly vulnerable to try and show that they're authentic yeah. now on social media just to try and gain traction likes all sorts of things like that um so we can be a bit careful now we've kind of mm, stepped over I that agree. line but i do think that it does take a certain level of vulnerability to you know to be something and to to do yeah. something great because otherwise if you can't take that vulnerability to then take that accountability you're not going to get anywhere yeah we're kind of coming towards the end it's been fascinating as as always <laughs> Um, just a few more questions for me. What are the worst decisions that you've made in your life, would you say? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, the easiest one that comes to mind is a tattoo that I regret. <laughs> You're talking a bit more openly about your tattoos now. You never, you never wanted to do that before. <laughs> no, I didn't want to be... I didn't want to be lumped in with stereotypes, you know, and I, I'm very careful with the way I present myself in, in all areas, not just like t yeah, tattoos and stuff. Of so course. I'm very careful when it comes to professionalism to try and keep that under wraps. And it's not necessarily that people should hide them, but just the way that I like to approach that. Why do you regret it? What's, what's if you don't mind, what's, what's bad or wrong about it in your opinion? I just don't like it. <laughs> That's <laughs> <Fair> all. <laughs> so I'm getting it removed. Yeah. But regrets, mistakes. Um, I would say... I mean, first and foremost, my answer to this is usually mistakes, regrets, they're all what makes us who we are today. Yeah. I think that's a typical response. I think that's a good response because, mm. you know, without those failures and learnings, when we're going to probably learn those things a lot slower. So I think that the yeah. easiest way to learn to get up is by falling. My, 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 my response to it, if, I, if I'm ever asked it, is that at the time you think it's a worse decision or mistake, but I mm. think we're only able to do what we can do with the tools that we, that we are capable yeah. of. Absolutely. Then. So I'm a different person now to what I was even six months ago. And mm. I think that at the time you do your best yes, in the situation. You no? Absolutely do. And you, you talk about tools and stuff. And I think that that 
is a perfect example. You know, you don't you don't know you're going to need a screwdriver until you need to screw a screw in, right? So then you yeah. acquire that at the time. I think that that's a perfect example because until you yeah. fail, you don't have the learning from it that you can then take in later, which is a tool in that case. I also think that um, I do believe that you are we're, we're given lessons until we learn them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've gone through countless of the same lesson in, in, in some instances where I'm like, haven't I, shouldn't I have learned this by now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I just, you know, it is that situation. But in terms of business mistakes, um, one of the things that I learned quite recently is leadership. And I talked about this in a post yesterday. Mm. It's learning the balance between being friendly and being in charge. Right. And it's very difficult for, especially I think the newer generations now, like myself, is finding that balance because social media tells us that we should be creating positive work environments and that we should be creating all of these, these things. And we definitely need positive work environments, but I don't think there's mm. really an execution that's, everybody wants to be like a cool boss. Really, yeah. That's what it is. And I think that being right, a cool absolutely. boss isn't necessarily always good i think that there has to be a balance of things and whatever that balance means to you so there's an element of you know taking charge setting targets making sure people stick to them being respectfully implementing boundaries but i do also think there's an element of course you know you do have that friendly approach it's a real fine line isn't it because with the leaders i coach a lot of it is down to they're almost too familiar with them and there's there's a sense of kind of like yeah i know what you're saying mate but do you really mean it? And yes. I think it's a, but you, you, it's a very fine art actually to it get that right. It really is, and that's something I've really been learning recently. Because I think before I was too friendly, and because I didn't want to upset people or make right. them feel stressed in certain situations, because I wanted them to feel positive every single day, but which is very impossible to do. Um, because of that, I then didn't exactly focus on the business's needs. I focused more yeah. on the people's needs. And I right. think that like, there's an art, like you said, of balancing the two rather yeah. than focusing on making sure that everybody's happy every single day. You need to make sure that the people are motivated, feel like they're in a great space, yeah. but actually they're there to do a job. They I think, need I to think do it goes back job. to that colors thing is knowing yes. which, which tool in your toolbox to use when, or how I like to phrase it is which leadership hat to wear when and to whom. Absolutely. That's a great way of describing you know. it. And it, it comes with practice as well. And yeah. I think it takes it takes time to get it right. Yeah, it really does. You don't get it right all the time either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. And, you know, I had a mentor recently who's um, who's been, gosh, working in, in that sort of industry for 20, 30 years, maybe maybe more than that. Mm. And he actually said, you know, he, he walked me through a situation the other day and he's not very open with things like that all the time. He usually like tries to advise me on things. And he said, look, you know, Kat, I, yeah. I recently made a really poor decision myself when it comes to leadership and i like to think that i'm amazing at this yeah. and this is my real great skill but actually i made a decision just last week and that was really poor so yeah. it's okay <laughs> i think i think in business pe- people actually respect honesty and directness mm-hmm. you, you can't do it to a point where you can bel- belittle somebody yeah. but actually deep down whether it's a ceo or anybody they want direction they want motivate they want to be driven they want to be pushed mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. and but then some some people aren't coachable, right? And I think it's 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 a leader yeah. a leader leader needs to take accountability and go. Actually, when the business is going well, it's on the team. When it's going badly, it's on me. But also mm-hmm. recognize actually that person isn't isn't motivated, isn't good enough, and execute them out of the business as well. It's yeah. it's a, it's a fine line. That's exactly what I recently learned as well. It's um, the saying that I've now really taken on board is higher slow fire fast got you absolutely love, love that, that saying yeah 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 
<laughs> Absolutely. Well, as opposed to doing the other way around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is what I used to do. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of companies, they, they hire on skills and experience and they, they fire on behaviours and attitude. And actually, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the behaviours, attitudes and those kind of skills, mm-hmm. those kind of things are just as important as the, the skills and experience. And, I agree. You know. But, you know, I also think that there's, on the flip side, a lot of companies now who are really socially focused and, like I said, you know, especially in that sort of LinkedIn space where people are just trying to hire based on potential, but really they realise later on down the road that there really isn't that much skill set to these people. So I think that that's something that we are now falling into the traps of because we're trying to turn it around. You know, people are telling us we need to be more this and more that and making sure that we're taking on people who don't have as much experience. And I get that. But do you have the time to train them? That's the question. A bit of a left field question, considering we're talking about um, business. Just going back a little bit, um, what's been your darkest moment, would you say, in your life? Oh, that's a good question. What is my darkest moment? There was a particular spell of about three weeks where just before my business really took off, I broke up with my then partner of three and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure if it was the right decision. I was all over the place emotionally. That exact week, I was just transitioning into taking my business full-time because I just got let go from my part-time job. So I've been let go from my income that's coming in to yeah, me. Right. I then had my apartment at risk. Um, my partner gone. I then also, because I'm, I'm, I'm studying, well, I was studying my master's degree. I had an assignment that was overdue and I hadn't written most of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, it kind of felt like the world was just against me. It was like a tower moment of everything going down and yeah. having to be rebuilt. And so yeah. it was a case of my partner, my 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 part-time job at the time. My business wasn't financially stable enough for me to be taking on full-time. Yeah. Um, my degree, everything was just all in one go. So that was a wow. pretty tough time for me. <laughs> Sounds like it. Um, what about the happiest moment? Happiest moment. Apart from obviously this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. I have well, no answer now. There we go. <laughs> um, happiest moment. What is happiness anyway? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think my happiest moments tend to be when I'm driving and like the sun's out or something. You know, for mm. me, I find happiness in the smaller moments. You know, when I get big victories, I don't often celebrate them for too long. Right. Um, just naturally, not necessarily by choice. So I think I find happiness more in the smaller moments of you know walking past i walked past somebody yesterday and we just complimented each other and it was really nice and then you know making people feel really good and Great. it was a really nice moment for me so i think that things like that are probably where i find the most enjoyment love it and the final thing um if there was one thing you want to leave the audience with in terms of not necessarily advice but anything you want to say to, as a parting gift mm, um We've talked about happiness and fulfillment quite a lot today. Mm-hmm. And we've also talked about entrepreneurship and how people want to be an entrepreneur now because that's the new thing. That's what everybody's glamorizing. And so my thing for that is not everybody has to be an entrepreneur to be successful. Mm. You know, people can be successful with, you know, if they're a really successful lawyer, really successful teacher, you know, all of these various different professions that we're now neglecting when it comes to social media and we've we've really glamorized one one yeah. element. Yeah. And so everybody's trying to be this, 
but then they're set up for failure because that's not their natural ability. Mm. So I think that one thing that I would love for people to be doing more is doing what they actually enjoy. Everybody's convincing themselves that they enjoy business, but really, yeah. I mean, even now, like, do you really, sometimes there are days that I get out of bed, oh, I'm like, I mean, I have got, got to make payroll. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Yeah. There's all sorts of crazy things going on just as something happens. Totally. Great. But you've got something that goes yeah. down, you know? So it's a bit like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was like we were indoctrinated to get the wife, the, the dog, mm. the house, the car, the nine to five. Now it's like be an entrepreneur. Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, actually, no, do what you want to actually do. Exactly. And, and don't convince yourself you want to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody yeah. has to be. Yeah. So I think that that's one thing that I'd love for people to just get on. Brilliant. Well, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to release the episode. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me, Chris. 